19. To just read the first eight verses of Matthew 17. Reminding ourselves that this is the Word of God. After six days, Jesus took with him Peter, James and John, the brother of James, and led them up a high mountain by themselves. There he was transfigured before them. His face shone like the sun. And his clothes became as white as the light. Just then there appeared before them Moses and Elijah talking with Jesus. Peter said to Jesus, Lord, it's good for us to be here. If you wish, I will put up three shelters. One for you, one for Moses, one for Elijah. While he was still speaking, a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud said, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. When the disciples heard this, they fell face down to the ground, terrified. But Jesus came and touched them. Get up, he said. Don't be afraid. When they looked up, they saw no one except Jesus. So reads God's precious and inspired word. Or such that we go through that we just don't quite understand. That causes to see sometimes nothing kind of but doom and gloom. Well, it is at such times like that, it does us good to consider what the writer to the Hebrews said that I started the service with. These two little words, consider him. Consider him. Or as the old hymn says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. In the light of his glory and his grace. And there is, I would suggest, no better a place to see that glory of Jesus in all of his glory than in the transfiguration of our Lord Jesus Christ. Indeed, as far as I can see, this is the only time that Jesus revealed his glory in this way while he was on earth. So whatever it is that you might be going through, However high or low you might be feeling this evening, I invite you to come on a journey and come with Peter and James and John as they climb a high mountain 
with Jesus. And all I want to do this evening is, first of all, try and show something from the text of the glory and of the beauty of Jesus, and then just look at three brief lessons for us to learn. But let's bask in the glory of Jesus. We are told, Matthew tells us, that after six days, and that actually is quite significant, and it's significant because it follows on, firstly from Peter's confession of Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. And of course we see the Father's endorsement of that in verse 5. This is my Son whom I love. And it also comes hard on the heels of Jesus beginning to explain that he has to go to Jerusalem and he will suffer, and he will die, and he will raise again. Or rise again, sorry. So, so this revealing of Jesus' glory is actually at a pivotal time. And that is often the case. That God reveals himself to us in these moments of, of trial or difficulty or, or, or great revelation or, or, or as we're about to go through something. So this revealing, this transfiguration is so important for Peter, James and John and the rest of the disciples and it's got so much to teach us. We are told in verse 2, that he, that Jesus, was transfigured before them. That his face shone like the sun. That his clothes became as white. And standing there alongside Jesus was Moses and Elijah. So much here. Let's just take time to drink it in and consider him in all his glory. See, the word that Matthew uses here for transfiguration it actually gives to us our English word metaphorosis, metamorphosis. And as you're well aware, that is a change of something from the outside that comes from the inside. It is, as you're well aware, it is when that kind of creepy, slimy caterpillar emerges from its cocoon and is a beautifully coloured butterfly. Or a tadpole becomes a frog. It is the thought of that which is inside, all of a sudden becoming on the outside what it really, really is in all of its splendor and all of its beauty. And this transfiguration of the Lord Jesus Christ was not some kind of reflection. 
but it actually radiated from him from within. The change on the outside came from the inside. It is, without sounding in any way, shape, or form irreverent here, it, does, it was a case that the, all of the glory and the majesty and the beauty of Jesus kind of just burst out. And there he was in all of his glorious splendor. It is, if you like, evidence of Hebrews 1 verse 3 where we read the sun is a radiance of God's glory. It is, as John says in his prologue, whether John was thinking back to this or not, I don't know, but in his prologue, you know how he says, we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only. And what we have here, brothers and sisters, is a physical, visible transformation. It is a reminder of Jesus' pre-incarnate glory, but also a preview of his coming glory. And Peter and James and John, at that pivotal moment, saw this great transfiguration saw Jesus in all of his glory. He really is the one who is beautiful beyond all description. Too marvelous for words. And as this glorious transformation takes place, all of a sudden, Jesus is joined by Moses and by Elijah. And they have a conversation. They speak with Jesus. Two of the greats from the Old Testament. Moses representing the law. Elijah representing the prophets. And of course all of the law. And all of the prophets were pointers to and are fulfilled. In the Lord Jesus and here on this mountain, there is a three-way conversation. wonder what they talked about. Well, actually, we don't need to wonder too much because Luke in his accounts tells us. Luke says that they were talking about his, that is Jesus' departure. They were speaking to Jesus regarding his upcoming death. And it's at this point that Peter speaks up. Good old Peter, he's always ready to say something. And, and, and he says, it's good for us to be here. A kind of, bit of an understatement, I think, there, Peter, but... But, but it's good for us to be here. And he offers to build three shelters. Perhaps an attempt or in an attempt to somehow kind of prolong this experience. Or to build some kind of memorial to mark the event. 
And I guess to some extent we, we can understand why he would want to do that. But you see, this was just a temporary, indeed, once-in-a-lifetime experience. And, and, and we, can't, we can't always stay on the mountaintop all of our days. We saw that with Jacob at the place of Bethel, that place where he met God. But there was a time when he had to kind of get up and move on. And so this isn't a time, Peter, for building a shelter for Jesus and Moses and Elijah. And it is as Peter is still speaking that we are told that a bright cloud enveloped them. And a voice from the cloud spoke. I don't know how you would have been if you were up the mountain that day. I think it would have been terrifying. But we're told that a voice from the cloud spoke and said, this is my son. This is my son whom I love and with him I am well pleased. Listen to him. And of course, Peter and James and John would, would, would know from their Old Testament understanding that, that, that a bright cloud would often be a reminder of God's glory. For instance, it was in the cloud that he appeared to Moses on Mount Sinai. It was the cloud of God's presence that guided his people through the desert. It kind of spoke of that Shekinah glory. That glory that filled the tabernacle. And now, here it is again. And from that cloud, the very voice of God is heard. And what we have is God the Father's public endorsement of his own son. The one whom he loves and of whom he is well pleased. That was the same public endorsement that the father gave the son following the baptism of Jesus. And so there on that mountain we have this glorious image of Jesus. And Henriksen in his commentary speaks of Christ's radiant countenance. His white garments, the resplendent visitors, the bright cloud, and the love-revealing voice of the Father. 
What a glorious image of our blessed Lord and Saviour. And all oh, that we would just gaze upon such beauty. Oh, that we would fix our eyes on him. Oh, that we would see only him as he really is. And as Peter, James, and John see and hear, do you notice what the reaction is? They fell face down to the ground, terrified. It was all just too much for them. And that is always the case. Where God's glory is truly revealed, there is no place for flippancy. But only to be awestruck, even to the point of being terrified. In the presence of that which is holy. In the presence of that which is filled with majesty. Fear is often the response. Think of Isaiah in the temple. Think of John on the island of Patmos. Brothers and sisters, there is an awesomeness and a holiness of God that we need to recapture. And it's such in such a, in such an awesomeness and such a holiness, sinful man cannot do anything but fear. When God truly reveals himself, Speaking on, on this verse, John Calvin says this. God intended that the disciples should be struck with terror in order to impress more fully on their hearts the memory of this vision. This is something that they would never forget. This is something that would sustain them. Yes, they would still fall and fail, but, we all, but this is something that would sustain them. Peter would write about it years later. I don't think that I could ever get anywhere near adequately explaining what this must have been like for Peter and James and John. As I says, we don't really need to because Matthew tells us his face shone like the sun. His clothes became as white as light. John, years later, would get a similar or perhaps even more fuller revelation of the risen, exalted Christ. And we read that earlier from Revelation chapter 1. And yet it's interesting. 
to see that both the response of John as he falls down as though dead in the Revelation 1 and of Jesus there, and we'll come to this in a minute or two, is exactly the same. The response was exactly the same. John, John along with Peter and James here, fell, fell down terrified. In the island of Patmos, he fell as though dead. John's reaction was it. Jesus' reaction was the same in both of the instances as well. He came and he touched them. And he spoke peace to them. This is who Jesus is. The one who is beautiful beyond description. The one in whom the Father is well pleased. And the one who loves us and gave himself for us. May we more and more consider him and fix our eyes on him. The glory of Jesus. His majesty and his holiness and his awesomeness. But what can we learn from it? Apart from the fact that the Lord Jesus, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever, he's still as glorious, he's still as beautiful, he's still as full of, of majesty tonight as he was on the top with Peter, James, and John. Well, very quickly, let's just, con- very quickly, let's just consider three things that we would do well to follow. Firstly, we see that Peter, James, and John were led by Jesus. They were led by Jesus. Notice at verse 1, after six days, Jesus took Peter, James, and John and led them up a high mountain by themselves. We're not given any reason as to why it was just Peter, James, and John and not any of the others. Many suggestions are made. Uh, pages and pages of commentaries are taken up with all kinds of um, weird and fanciful ideas. We're not told. The answer is that, that we don't know. So we just leave it at that. It was Peter, James and John that went. It wasn't the first time that it was just these three and it wouldn't be the last time. That it was the three of them who were permitted to enter into the room of Jairus' daughter. It was them who were invited to go that bit further with the Lord in the Garden of Gethsemane. But as to why, we don't know. So we just leave it. Here's a very simple point I want to make here. Are you being led by Jesus? Or put it another way. Who is it that you are following? For as disciples of Jesus, it is him that we are to follow. It is him that we are to be led by. Just a few verses earlier, and and, uh, Jesus in chapter 16, verse 24, tells his disciples, "If if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself, he must take up his cross, and he must follow me. Who are you following tonight? One of the many titles given to Jesus, and indeed one of the great I am's, is that of the Good Shepherd. And a shepherd's 
role is to lead the sheep. And in Jesus' time and still today, uh, shepherds in the Middle East would actually go in front. And the sheep would follow. And sometimes if we're honest, we don't know where that leading takes us. But we know who we're following. I doubt very much that as Peter, James and John set off up that mountain, they had any idea of what lay ahead. Reminded of the old hymn, Saviour, like a shepherd, lead. You see, it is not, it is not a pastor, and it's not a church, and it's not a denomination, and it's not even a religion that we are called to follow. It is Jesus. So are you being led by Jesus? Secondly, we see that they were told to listen to Jesus. I found it really interesting, the amount of times I've looked at this passage, but anyway, I found it interesting to notice that it appears that it was not so much the transfiguration in and of itself that caused them the fear, but actually the voice of the Lord. Spurgeon comments that deeper impression was produced by the words of the Lord than by the blinding light. And God's call out of the clouds, God's command to Peter, to James, and to John, and to us tonight, is to listen to Jesus. And bear in mind what has just been going on here? They have just seen Jesus in all his pre-existent glory. They have just witnessed Moses. And how did they know it was Moses and Elijah? You will be known in heaven. They've just seen Moses and Elijah. Yet the focus is not to be on either what they have seen or what they have experienced but on what Jesus will teach them. It's a timely reminder to us all, especially in the days in which we live, when people clamor after visions and signs and whatever else. Brothers and sisters, our first priority in being led by Jesus is to listen to Jesus. We are to follow his leading. We are to follow his teaching. And if we want to know how to do that, then we need to spend time reading his word. It was Jesus back in John chapter 5 when speaking to, to some Jews who, who were persecuting him for doing certain things and that they considered to be unlawful on the Sabbath says this to them. You diligently study the scriptures because you think that by them you possess eternal life. These are the scriptures that testify about me. And the need to listen and to obey 
is vital if we wish to grow in the grace and in the knowledge of him who loves us and who gave himself for us. Are you following Jesus? Are you listening to Jesus? And thirdly, we see that they were touched by Jesus. Here they are. They're in a state of great fear. And even though we have this glorious vision, this transfiguration of Jesus and all of his his glory and all his divinity. And uh, we also see something of the humanity and the compassion. Because we are told that Jesus came and Jesus touched them. And Jesus said, get up. Get up. Don't be afraid. As I said earlier, that was something that, that John would experience again, and that's recorded for us in Revelation 1, when he tells us that Jesus came and put his right hand on him. We also are told that they saw nobody, they saw no one except Jesus. That is, Moses and Elijah were now gone because Jesus was a fulfillment of all that they stood for. And all they saw was Jesus. And it's his presence that brings peace. And it's, his, and it's his touch that brings healing. Forgive another old song quote. He touched me. Oh, he touched me. And oh, the joy that floods my soul. Something happened. And now I know he touched me and made me whole. Maybe that's a word for someone this evening. Maybe you need to know that touch of Jesus. Maybe you're fearful of something or you're worried about something. Or things just aren't going as you expected. Well, tonight, just open up and allow Jesus to touch you. Allow him to speak words of restoration. Get up. Words of peace. Don't be afraid. May that be the reality and the experience of us all. This Jesus, friends, is glorious. He's beautiful beyond description. 
and all praise and all glory is due to him. Are you being led by him? Are you listening to him? Have you been touched by him? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Lord Jesus, thank you. Your word reminds us that you are the same yesterday, today, and forever. That that is, your love is as great, hasn't diminished. Your power is as great, hasn't diminished. Your glory is as great, it hasn't diminished. And Lord, we ask that you would just give to us a fresh understanding of your greatness and of your glory. We ask that we might be willingly led by you. That we might listen to what you have to say. And in listening, we might be obeying. And Lord, for any who need just that touch from you, just as you did to John on the island of Patmos, you came and you put your right hand on his shoulder. So would you do that for those who need that touch just now. In whatever area of their life that touch is required, may they know that hand upon them, that hand that stilled the waters, that hand that healed the sick, those hands that were nailed to the cross. Lord Jesus, in all of your glory, we seek to give you our praise and our adoration. In your name we ask it. Amen.